0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 115 of X-Lapsed, where we're, uh... Hey, we're still ex-attendant. That's kind of what we do here for, uh, the next little while, anyway. So, uh, we do have, a uh, quite a bit to talk about. Let's get right into it. We're talking today about Marauders number 13, set a December 2020 cover date. Story is X of Swords, chapter 5. Writer, not Jerry Duggan, but Vita, Vida? Vita Ayala? One of those. I apologize. I'm sure I said it wrong, probably both times. Art Matteo Lali, colors Edgar Delgado, letters VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Beza Whitezabolsky. Cover price five dollars. Five dollars. This is an oversized issue, I guess, uh, and it went on sale October seventh of 2020. Now we open with one of them quote pages. You know how I love those quote pages. Uh, This one, this quote, is attributed to someone named S.A. Graham, who is referred to here as a survivor of Onslaught. And, uh, unfortunately, I don't have the time nor access to rifle through my Onslaught-era X-books at the moment, uh, like I otherwise would to see if this was an actual guy who bumped into Storm during the story, but whether or not it is, it's still a neat little nod. I I like any time we mention... Inconvenient bits of history I don't know that we ever really talk about Onslaught anymore So it's pretty neat to see a mention here Now we start our comics portion With Storm reflecting on Polaris' prophecy If you recall, Polaris was spouting a whole bunch of words About the swords, right? So Storm clearly was one of those referenced in the prophecy Now she is soon joined by Call Me Kate And they talk a bit about what Storm might have ahead of her Now she needs the vibranium sword from Wakanda, the Skybreaker, in order to participate in this contest of champions. And, you know, she also has a very complicated relationship with the Wakandan royal family, who she will have to confer with in order to get Skybreaker. Kitty offers to go along with her, but, where Storm walks, she must walk alone. It's worth noting, there are some framing panels on this page that walk us through some of Storm's history. I'm not sure why these are necessary as they're nowhere near a complete telling of Storm's life. But, you know, at the same time, I suppose they ain't hurt nobody either. From here, we shift to a story about Wakanda, Vibranium, and Blades. It's the origin of the Skybreaker Sword, which is the first sword forged out of Vibranium and wielded by the King of Wakanda. I'm not sure if this is like legit lore. As far as I know from my admittedly shallow wiki research, Skybreaker's first mention is in Swords creation. So is this something from Black Panther lore? If you know, please pass it on. Share with the class, because I... I don't know. Uh, I probably, while on the subject of Black Panther here, I should probably get it out of the way before we go too deep. Uh, I'm one of those Black Panther fans. You know, the type that only ever enjoyed... Black Panther when he was written by Christopher Priest. While there was plenty of Wakanda there, it never felt like it usurped the, you know, the overall story. Uh, I feel like the Priest run was very, very character-driven, at least in my memory. Uh, These days, it feels like people would rather just write about the politics and history of Wakanda than a superhero story, which, I mean, I suppose there's a time and place for that, but uh, I would prefer just a... Give me some real fun characters, give me some superhero-ing. Just give me, uh, give me stuff like that, and I'm, I'm a happy camper. Anywho, from here, we go to our double-page spread of creds, then our roll call. We are going to be focusing on Storm. Call me Kate, Queen Ramonda of Wakanda, and Princess Shuri of Wakanda. We go back to comics, and we're already in Wakanda. Now Storm, of course, is here to get an audience with the royal family to ask for access to the Skybreaker. Unfortunately, T'Challa ain't in at the moment, so this request falls to Ramonda and Shuri. Now, the relationship between the three ladies is still quite warm, despite the fact that Storm and T'Challa's marriage didn't really go so well. Now, the Skybreaker is very important to the people of Wakanda, and its removal might somehow cause unrest. I don't know the inner workings of this, but I'll take their word for it. And so, Storm, despite asking very, very nicely and explaining the otherworldly situation honestly is denied her request at least for the moment she's gonna have to wait for T'Challa to return home to have the final word on the subject unfortunately we're kinda on a time crunch here aren't we I mean, Saturnine ain't about to wait for the King of Wakanda to come home Storm respectively accepts their response and does not argue with them she's like, okay, you've said your piece I tried my best Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, it's worth noting that the queen and princess were more than willing to give Storm some other royal Wakandan arms, including the Nation Maker spear, the Panther's claws daggers, and the King's Mercy sword. Unfortunately, again, Saturnine probably ain't keen on accepting substitutes. She has her prophecy; it's got to be followed to the letter. From here, an info page about other worlds, Sevileth is a place where the inhabitants seem vampiric, and you all know how I feel about that. We turn a page, and we get another info page. This time it's about Otherworld's Mercator, and it's a page full of very hickman words, which, uh, caused me to glaze over. Back to comics. Storm is hanging out in her quarters. She's soon joined by Shuri, who has brought with her a big meal for them to share. Now, they talk for a bit, Right? And it's not long before the conversation shifts from polite to passive-aggressive to just plain contentious. You see, Shuri, she ponders out loud the timing of this request for the Skybreaker. And she wonders aloud if it has anything to do with the fact that Wakanda has chosen not to sign the Krakoan Treaty. And as you might imagine... Storm is quite insulted at this insinuation and accusation After all, not too long ago, she and Shuri were family They were sisters-in-law They basically agree to disagree Shuri insists that Storm wait for T'Challa to return And mentions how Storm and her ex-husband's relationship Is in a much better place at the moment Storm's like, okay, you said your piece, now get out I want to get some sleep So she gives her the boot um, Is she going to really go to sleep? Of course not, of course not. She has other things in mind, and we'll follow her along here. But first, we flash back to Storm's time as Queen Wakanda. She remembers being shown the Royal Wakandan Armory, where it just so happens that the Skybreaker resides. Now, Storm, in present day, changes out of her white outfit and into something a bit darker. And bada-bing, next we know she's at the Armory, ready for a heist, And I gotta tell you, this is quite well represented in panel layout here because we're intermingling here. We're flashing back to Storm getting a tour of this facility with Black Panther. These scenes are juxtaposed with the current day scene of Storm breaking in. So it's really cool the way they did this. It's like, okay, she saw this scene here back in the long ago, and here she is now using those memories to break in. Really good stuff. Now she uses her lightning powers to shut down the armory's defenses for 30 minutes, Which, that's kind of a long time, isn't it? You might think that Wakanda would have a backup generator, right? I mean, I can suspend my disbelief, but only for so much. Now, Storm enters, and only has to take out one guard in order to reach the the Skybreaker room. Which, again, seems a little too easy, doesn't it? Storm then ixnays the lasers, protecting the sword with some frigid cold... She then, Indiana Jones swaps the Skybreaker with a phony, right? You know, remove the real one, put a fake one in there. She's hopeful that uh, this might fool the Wakandans long enough for her to take the blade, win the fight in Otherworld, then return the blade safely. So no one would be any the wiser. Now, as she reaches for the Skybreaker, well, before she can lay a single finger on it, she's attacked by Shuri. They fight. Storm wins. Now, By the time she actually grabs the Skybreaker, the system has rebooted, so the full thirty minutes have elapsed, at which time great big doors slam down and Storm finds herself attacked by some Black Panther droids. And so we get a couple of full page spreads of Storm using lightning to shock the bots, which really makes me wonder why this needed to be an oversized five dollar book, but what are you gonna do? Storm goes to make her escape. But wouldn't you know it, she runs right into T'Challa and his, uh, and his secret service of sorts here, and they have a pretty uncomfortable situation. Black Panther tells her that uh, all she would have had to have done was wait, because he would have given her anything, even the Skybreaker. He loves her after all. Storm tells him that waiting just wasn't an option here. Uh, T'Challa is quite disappointed in Storm's behavior and accuses the Krakoans of becoming perhaps a little too. For lack of a better term, ethnocentric of late. Their only concern is for mutants discounting and dismissing all others. And, you know, he's, uh, he's kind of got a point there, doesn't he? T'Challa then tells his men to stand down and let Storm leave with the Skybreaker. And she does so through a Krakoan portal, which Black Panther immediately commands be destroyed. If Storm wants to come back to Wakanda with the blade, she's going to have to do so the old-fashioned way. Info page on the Skybreaker, uh, you all want to know more about this sword? Yeah, me neither. Uh, we wrap up back at the X of Swords action figure display playset, where Storm joins Wolverine in magic, taking her spot at the sigil. And, you know, if you've seen the cover of this issue, Wolverine gets prominent, prominent coverage on the cover. He's front and center on this thing. And this is the only panel he's in. One panel. Okay. I guess he's in it more than Jean Grey was, which is to say, she didn't show up at all, and she's pretty prominently displayed on the cover as well. What are you going to do? But that is where we leave. Marauders number 13. Next episode, Exit 10s part 6 in Hellions number 5. So let's talk about this issue here. I probably should start by saying that, uh, like, the entire. I don't know, framing conceit of this story here is the uh, Black Panther-Storm relationship in a way, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure the mention of Wakanda is what made Storm realize that the prophecy was talking about her, unless I'm mistaken, which is possible, I suppose. But the relationship between Storm and T'Challa, despite the fact that I think they teamed up and expressed interest for each other in a single issue of Marvel Team-Up back in the day, their whole marriage felt very, very forced to me. I mean, we've talked about forced marriages before in this program, but the Storm Black Panther one never really worked for me. It felt very, very forced. It felt... You know, me and the wife will watch Days of Our Lives. You know, that's a, a soap opera for folks who don't know, and it feels like any time there are, like, two black characters on the show, they automatically become a couple. Which I feel is pretty reductive, um, and I feel it was similarly reductive here in the comics. It was just, I don't know, just too forced for me, and I really could never glom onto it. Um, on that note, I really don't care about Wakandan history. That's not a fault of the story; uh, it's just something that is. I, I, I find whenever we try to dig into the lore of a land, and you know, like, it could be Wakanda, it could be Kunlun it could be. New Genesis or Apocalypse over in DC I really, it just doesn't really do it for me So, not a big fan of that Here it wasn't really I mean, it got mentioned, of course It was used as a device to To show us the forging Or to explain the forging of the Skybreaker Which is fine, it's fine I'm sure other people probably got more out of those scenes than I did, though Again, not a fault of the story um, but let's talk about this as the next chapter of X of Swords here I don't know how many people listening are anime fans If you're an anime fan um, These last three chapters would be something that would be referred to as filler I feel like we're spending way, way too much time gathering these swords here I don't know that we need quite this many pages to to fill in order to get these swords here I think we could have done... We could do two swords an issue easily But instead we're doing We're doing one sword in an Oversized issue, one sword in two Regular sized issues, it just Feels like we are really Wasting a lot of time here We're really, we're just running in place here And uh, I feel like the seams Are going to start to show before long Here, I don't know, I mean Storm, they've tried doing mini series, they've tried doing Ongoing series, And the ongoing just Didn't last very long And that's not a slight on the character Or the creators behind the book It's just some characters can't carry Their own series And when you put them in the spotlight It kind of becomes more apparent I'm sure there's folks out there who'd argue That Wolverine can't even carry his own stories Because even though he's had Hundreds and hundreds of solo adventures And solo issues It just feels like we're really, really Stretching this out And putting a spotlight on characters who... Work better as part of a team than they do In solo outings So I think that's kinda where I'm at With this and I'm not completely looking forward To much more of this Even though I think we've got about a half dozen more of these Before we get to stasis And I'm assuming that's like the line in the sand here I'm thinking we're gonna gather the swords till stasis And then we're gonna fight until destruction I mean it only makes sense But uh, I I guess you know it'll all remain to be seen here Let's do some uh, takeaways From this issue here and it was a My main takeaway uh, was just that off-the-cuff line from Black Panther at the end of the issue where he basically accuses Storm of not caring about the African part of her and only being concerned with the mutant part. And it's interesting when we think about uh, a concept like, and I don't know if ethnocentrism is the right term for it, but... For the lack of a lack of a better term and with my you know peanut brain <laughs> percolating here the mutants being more into themselves I mean it's 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 an organic thing right it uh, the the mutants have been stepped on and stomped on and kicked around for a long long time now it only stands to reason that they'd be fed up and now that they have the means with the you know the quicohen magic meds and uh, the Global stroke, I guess, that they're currently wielding You know, it stands to reason that they would be about themselves here But I think T'Challa raises a really good point in that Like, what's the cost here, right? I mean, he tells Storm that the Wakandans, for, for a time, were her people And here she is stealing from them Because her other people need her to it, it, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of meat on that bone, I think, and I think that's something we can talk about a lot here as we uh, move forward here. I know that we've heard about dual citizenships. You know, they're citizens of whatever country of origin they're from and Krakoa. You know, but I think this could lead to a lot of fun stories if this just this one line is explored a little bit further. I mean, that there's that whole pride cometh or goeth before the fall or whatever, and uh, we've talked about the mutants becoming too decadent. And uh, maybe the mutants are also becoming a little too prideful. I mean, that's uh, that's a scary combination when you're trying to build and maintain a nation, isn't it? So very, very interesting. That is probably like the line of the book for me, um, and my definitely my main takeaway. Uh, another takeaway: Storm going back to her skills as a thief. I mean, that felt moderately in character. It is a skill set she has. Uh, she. She was doing it for a a cause she found to be morally sound, morally right, proper. Um, Maybe not so much for the folks of Wakanda, but she she didn't have any qualms about doing it. She didn't want to do it, but she knew if she had to, she could, and she would, and she did. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, the art here. The art here was really good. And speaking of our creators, um, I didn't even realize that Jerry Duggan hadn't written this until I was putting together my notes and, and filling in the credits here. So uh, whoever uh, Vita Vida, Ayala is, I quite enjoyed their work. It was a good job here. I liked the, the, the discourse between Storm and uh, Shuri. I thought that was a really good scene here. Uh, it's hard to really strike a balance between... Um, Between aggression and and passivity here To get that perfect blend of passive aggression Because I think we've all been in conversations like that Where someone is just being a little needly, right? They're just, they're being passive-aggressive Or maybe it's you being passive-aggressive It's hard to really put that into writing, I think And the conversation they have here Where, like, Shuri is just kind of thinking out loud She's like, yeah, I kind of wonder about the timing of all this And, uh... Well, you know, maybe maybe you're trying to do this. or I thought that was really well done. Really well done there. And uh, outside of the fact that I think this took too many pages and just overall the search for the swords is taking a bit too long, I really don't have any complaints about this. So uh, definitely another solid issue of Marauders, and uh, I would recommend it. Now, how about we dip into the mailbag before we get out of here? We got uh, a fairly fairly loaded mailbag today. We're going to start with Damien who's talking about X-Force number 12. Now he starts with, No, 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 no. <laughs> I do not believe this issue of X-Force. It's a classic error of putting plot ahead of character. There's no way that Storm would stand by and let Colossus be led out in chains. The fact that this story tells us that Hank had gathered people together to watch doesn't work. Kitty, Storm, Kurt, and Jean Would have all used their position on the Quiet Council To stop this They treated Sabretooth with more respect It's literally unbelievable Benjamin Percy is so wedded to his CIA Analogy that he throws character Out the window And the scene that Damien is talking about Is Perhaps the worst scene Of the Dawn of X line so far Colossus was rounded up by the Beast and Wolverine and uh, Domino Because, uh, well, because he was Russian <laughs> And uh, because Mikhail Rasputin, Colossus's brother Had uh, stolen the Cerebro sword And there were these Russian nesting agents And uh, we've got Omega Red on the island And uh, Beast, rather than, you know, going to his old friend Peter And maybe asking him some questions He decides to, like Damien said, put him in chains and then frog-march him out of a portal uh, right in front of all of his uh, closest friends. Kitty, Storm, Kurt, Jean, Wolverine is there doing the, tr- doing the, uh, the, uh, the policing as well. It is uh, not a good look. Really, really bad look. And, um, yeah, not good. Not good at all. Uh, Damien continues, Are we really meant to believe that Domino would arrest Peter? What part of her history makes her a following orders type of character? It was only a few issues ago that she went on an unauthorized mission with Peter. Does Percy not remember writing that? I can't believe this is the same character, and all of our theories about changing characters can't excuse this. This is simply bad writing. 100%. 100%. I mean. I mean, Ben Percy here. He. <laughs> He's writing X-Force and Wolverine, right? And in both of them, Omega Red is there doing different things. I don't know where... I don't know his process, his writing process. I mean, I think for two issues, Omega Red was on the cover of them, and he didn't even show up in the book. I really don't know. Um, And no, Domino would definitely not be a just-following-orders kind of character. She wouldn't arrest Peter. So bad, so bad And, like you say, uh, there's no amount of Krakoan influence that can excuse this This is just poor writing, this is shock writing, you know And it's, it's statement writing, and it's not good, not good at all uh, Damien continues As you mentioned, there are other problems There are a number of characters who would who run away from Wolverine who would not do that Again, I come back to Storm, who refused to back down from Wolverine when she had no powers. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is a... The second part of that awful scene has Wolverine realizing that Beast was making a show of this. He was putting on theater, right? He had gathered all these characters here to see what he was doing to Peter. And when Wolverine realized that, he flipped the F out... He unleashed his claws, and he ran into the crowd, scattering them all. I mean, these are his best friends. This is, you know, uh, I think Jubilee was there. Uh, Storm, of course, was there. Kurt was there. And they all ran from him, including Storm, who wouldn't have backed down when she was powerless. But here, she runs away. Really bad. Damien continues. Then there's the farm stuff. How old is the girl with the water power meant to be? She looks adolescent, but in the bad romance novel text page, it's implied that Colossus is interested in her sexually. Whatever is intended, we end up with something intensely creepy. Yes. I don't remember her name. I don't remember her name. What the hell was her name? Kayla. Kayla the water person here. Yeah. yeah, there there definitely seems to be a romantic angle to her uh, relationship with Colossus and it is creepy. It is very, very creepy because she does look like a child She definitely looks like a child Uh, Damien continues And what is Mikhail's motivation? He seems to be working with Zeno because he's evil And he seems to be evil because he's Russian (laughs) On that note, are we meant to know that Zeno were Russian? I thought they were specifically described as international Have I had a brain injury or is this nonsense? Well, if you had a brain injury, my friend, it is contagious Because I don't remember that either I thought they were an international cabal as well I don't know that they were Ever ever named as Purely Russian baddies And as for Mikhail's Motivation here If I were a betting man And it's a good thing I'm not I thought he was going to get involved with X of Tens here He has the Cerebro Sword Is the Cerebro Sword not even going to be Part of X of Tens? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit I guess, but uh, no I, I don't know I really don't know what his motivation is here. Uh, Damien continues. The final straw is the last page, which is meant to be happening during X of Tens. Put a pin in this, and when you finish reading the crossover, please tell me when Jean was available to do this. She seems quite busy throughout. And this is, of course, Wolverine bringing Jean Grey in to do some telepathic interrogation on Omega Red and Colossus. Because you see, they're Russian. <laughs> And we need to we need to round up all of the Russians and uh, ask if, uh, you know, are you or have you ever been a member of Xeno, right? I don't know. Damien continues, This issue of X-Force is why I get headaches. All I can do is be grateful that some of the X of Tens issues of X-Force are co-written by Jerry Duggan, so there are positives in the future. Anyway, I'm off to have a good old scream until I start the Benjamin Percy fan club Make Mine x slaps. Yeah, this was, uh, not a great issue. Not a great issue, which it is doubly painful because we were on a good streak of uh, X-Force issues there, at least in my opinion. I thought the uh, the stuff we did in Terra Verde was good. I like the idea of the post-human kind of intermingled with the green, right? You know, we had these plant things that were sort of post-human-y, but not completely, but it's just different strain of post-human, perhaps. I liked that a lot. I liked the fact that it seemed like we were really setting up for Beasts Fall from Grace here and maybe a redemption arc. I, I absolutely adored the Domino and Colossus scenes here. The talk of suicide. What does suicide mean to someone who could be reborn again and again? Really, really strong stuff. So when we get this... Oh, man, just not good. Not good at all. And it's like, why are we even bothering to keep... Why don't we... Colossus has been with us since dawn of X started right He's been here since since jump street here and x force number one. We'd never see the guy unless he's he's being interrogated or he's in the background of a scene. It just seems like such a waste, such a waste but um, yeah, I'm sure we'll. Probably talk about that scene a time or two again But thank you so much for sharing You're very frustrated You're equally as frustrated as my thoughts On X-Force number 12 uh, Next, Evan Bevins is talking about The free comic book day special And X of Swords He says, read the free comic book day issue And X of Swords creation this morning And listen to the FCBD episode I believe this issue had already been announced for the regularly scheduled Free Comic Book Day the first Saturday in May before the pandemic did its number on, well, everything. I love Free Comic Book Day, but the best issues I ever ever got tended to be the Bongo Comics free-for-alls featuring The Simpsons, which never actually got me to buy any Simpsons comics, except when my library was selling some back issues off, and the Tick specials. As you noted, DC tended to be reprints, and Marvel had a habit of producing hit-or-miss stories previewing events way in the future. The all-new, all-different Avengers story a couple years ago was good, but was announced well before we had much clue what the Marvel Universe would look like post-Secret Wars, let alone how Miles Morales could possibly be there. A Spider-Man offering from way back when turned out to be a post-brand new day story, well before that traumatic event in my fandom and made little sense. This issue seemed to follow in that tradition, with stuff thrown with stuff thrown off even more by the pandemic delays. That would probably explain why the dialogue and even art were revised in Exosuit's Creation. So it was a future reprint promoting an often the distance crossover, an amalgam, if you will, of what Marvel, DC, Marvel and DC Free Comic Book Day approach. Despite my severe eye roll when I saw those pages in Creation, I found it interesting to compare the pages and wonder about the changes. Glob Herman re- swapped in for Rockslide, for example. Once the long, repetitive preamble was out of the way, I found creation to be a pretty exciting setup. Now About Free Comic Book Day, uh, it's every so often I'll record something, and I'll immediately feel bad about it. And I'll second guess whether or not I should have said something, and my little rant about Free Comic Book Day is one of those things here, because I know it's a special day for a lot of people. I know people like to bring their kids and uh, their families to the comic shop. It's just a, it's an event. And uh, as someone who's kind of a sucker for any kind of holiday, I could totally see the merit in just celebrating something, right? Just having a day that's not mundane, you know? And Free Comic Book Day is that day for a lot of people here. Unfortunately, when I think about it, I automatically go to the negative stuff. I go to... Well, in the words of some of the retailers around here, uh, I go to the, you know, pretend to care about comics day sort of a school of thought. Because to me, that is a lot of what it is, but uh, I will admit that that is reductive and uh, close-minded of me to think that way. Um, I know folks really, really dig it. And that's great. That's great. I just wish that the companies would... Uh, Would use it as the opportunity that it really is You know, um Put the best foot forward I mean This X of Swords Special that we got was I can't say it was bad Because it's not bad It's just wrong-headed for this sort of endeavor I think We're gonna talk a little bit more about the special In a couple of letters though So I'll save some more of it for that But uh if my comments about free comic book, they ruffled any feathers. It wasn't meant to. They weren't meant to, so I do apologize if that was the case. But uh, our next letter comes from uh, our friend Walt Nealand, and he's talking about, get this, Marauders number one. Boy, I can, I can remember how young I was when I. No, that was only a little while ago. But uh, Walt says, I loved Marauders number one. I just got such a kick out of it, I enjoyed the art. I'm not always keen on characters looking younger than I'm used to, and Kitty did look young, but it worked. And Wolverine's exuberant joy at her arrival with his beer, his dashing past her, diving in and swimming out to her little sailboat, and coming back with beer was just hilarious to me. Normally not keen on Wolverine being treated as such a comedy bit, but it worked the same as Whedon's portrayal of him for me. It's so funny thinking back to that issue, because, uh... I mean, we were we were sweet summer children back then, weren't we? I mean, everything was so much more... I don't want to say innocent, because that doesn't make much sense, but in my head it works. Uh, it feels like... I don't know, everything was such uh, so much more uh, sunshiny back then. Everything was so new. <laughs> Where now, I don't know if I'm just a little jaded or cynical or both. I don't know. But it's so, it's so cool getting some thoughts about these very early issues here. And, uh... Because it's kind of, you, know, you know, we're testing the waters here. That was the first issue of Marauders. It's it's pretty funny. Um, Walt continues, and of course, I enjoyed Lockheed. I even actually enjoyed a couple of the info pages. Kitty's Captain's Log and Wolverine shopping list for her was were funny. And the Marauders was her, quote, Sorry, I was on the spot name. I don't know, I really liked it. Probably my favorite of the bunch so far. And yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. The Marauders... I mean, Maraud as we've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again because I'm very repetitive. But uh, it is the most consistent book of the line, a hundred percent. It's always, it's always good to great, and doesn't usually dip below that. While there are things that I don't, you know, love about it, it's still the strongest of the line here, and uh, I do look forward to hearing your thoughts on some of the other <laughs> number ones here. I think if you're up to Marauders. That means you've still got to read Fallen Angels, of course, uh, X Force, and maybe Excalibur. I don't know if Excalibur came before Marauders in our in our lineup, but uh, you definitely have X Force and Marauder uh, and Fallen Angels to read. And uh, I really am looking forward to your thoughts on Fallen Angels. But uh, I thank you so much for writing in your thoughts on Marauders number one, and for uh, being part of the show. Uh, next up, Andrew Franklin talking about Exoswords, Part 1 through 3. Now he says, The thing that kept running through my head reading this was, how did we go from Maura McTaggart's past lives to this? The other thing I ke- that kept running through my head was, what is it that's motivating these bad guys again? I thought it would be fun to track what the tarot cards were referencing as we read through the crossover, but they all pretty much referred to things that happened this issue, huh? The three characters that were replaced in the tarot art had some big roles in this issue, too. I wonder if that was done to preserve the secrecy of what would happen, or if plans for the characters changed, or if it was just pandemic-related. Now, if I were a guessing man, and I am a guessing man, I'm not a betting man, but I am a guessing man, I'd say that uh, plans changed. I'd really like to see it come back around and uh, be some sort of a meta thing where it's like, where the characters know what was on the cards originally and, and... the change is addressed, but I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, Andrew continues. Was Glob Herman, pictured in the Free Comic Book Day preview, originally planned to be killed and not Rockslide? Maybe one of the creative team had too big a soft spot for Glob. certainly makes a little more sense that it was Rockslide, since he and the summoner shared a scene together, at least. Maybe Banshee was replaced by Siren because one of the writers wanted to use her. I'll be interested to see what happens, if anything does, to make the change clearer. Yeah, I don't know that we'll see anything I don't know if, uh, you know Ignore the man behind the curtain sort of a thing With the uh, Free Comic Book Day thing That's one thing that uh, Well, I mean, the industry's just been doing that a lot I would say lately But, I mean, the new 52 Was almost, it was ten years ago Jesus, oh boy Yeah, ooh, that that aged me a whole lot Right there um, I remember that uh, I think it was Dan Deal That said, uh We might see things that happen in issues that'll be wiped away when the trade comes out, when the trade collection comes out. Because the trade, of course, as we've been trained to think, the trade's forever, right? The issues come and go, but the trades are forever. And I remember in uh, Teen Titans number one, from the early, early, early New 52, the first couple weeks of the New 52, uh, Tim Drake had referred to himself as formerly being Robin, now Red Robin. And then when the trade came out, that was all taken out Uh, The Teen Titans talked about previous teams of Titans that came before them When the trade came out, boom, those were all gone as well here So I don't know if this is a situation like that I'm assuming it is I'm assuming it's like, oh, well, the free comic book day thing Who's even going to remember? I mean, they didn't plan on some idiot like me Doing two shows in a row about the same, you know, six pages So I don't think they figured that there'd be someone that foolish And that, uh uh, uncharacteristically perceptive To notice those very uh, Very strange little changes here uh, Andrew continues Pepe Larraz and Mardi Gracia Make a good looking book But why is Rachel Summers in her new X-Factor Garb and Polaris isn't? And wasn't Angel not blue skin The last time we saw him in Empire? There also seems to be no logic When Apocalypse has his classic look And when he has his Excalibur look Other than looking one way in the X-Men book And then looking another in Creation yeah yeah um, this is the uh, the Carol Danvers haircut problem where <laughs> I mean, there's no such thing as a, as a character Bible anymore. There's no uh Jose Luis Garcia Lopez to to draw the uh, to draw the handbook to how to draw all these characters anymore. Um, that's a really good observation that I missed that Polaris yeah, she's not she's not in her new X factor togs, but Rachel is. So it's like, what gives? What gives there? As I think I mentioned this when we saw Angel um, in Creation, or in, uh, I think it was in Creation, why does he look so different than he did back uh, back in X-Men Empire, Empire colon X-Men? He looks different. He doesn't have the blue skin in that one for, for one. And he looks more, he's dressed in his Angel gear, not Archangel gear. So very, very weird. Apocalypse, I mean, you're, Guess is as good as mine here. Is the, These outfits, these looks, they change And uh, It's one of those things that if you stop to think about it It'll drive you crazy And it usually does drive me crazy I mean, I've said it before And again, this is one of those things I will probably say again We've got a whole fleet Of editors on these books And nobody can Nobody can draw the line and say Hey, can we at least get some consistency here I don't know Andrew continues so, I guess the X Factor Mojo World story is over. It didn't seem like there was a definitive resolution last issue. I guess they just collected the body of the mutant girl and left without incident. They had a crossover to get on with. It's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> uh oh, we got a crossover. We got to end this story quick. And I'm thinking we're probably going to wind up back there to get Shatterstar before long. So, I don't know that we're completely safe from Mojo World for uh, better or for worse. Uh, Andrew continues. Considering how cavalier everyone has been regarding death and resurrection, I didn't really understand Apocalypse's reaction to the Morlock Healer. Now, this is a reference to the Healer seeing Richter very, very ill. He was uh, shot with a poison arrow, and Apocalypse is like, hey, go treat him, and he says, nah, let him die, and then he'll be resurrected. Apocalypse doesn't take too kindly to this, which, I mean, is... I don't know if it's in character or out of character, considering that Apocalypse himself uh, allowed himself to die just to be resurrected in an issue of Excalibur not too long ago. They clearly don't... they really don't... there's no sanctity to remaining alive for many of these characters. I think we saw in Giant Size Storm that she didn't want to die and come back, but Apocalypse up to this point had not shown any qualms about... About the death and rebirth process Especially considering, you know The whole external bent of this It did seem kind of weird I don't know, maybe it's I'm not sure if anybody Including the characters Understand the bond between Richter and Apocalypse At the moment Maybe it's something that'll uh, have a little bit more light shed on it And make a little bit more sense But just don't know Don't know yet Andrew continues I for one would have liked for the Silver Samurai To be one of the characters in the fighting contest it would have made the roster a little more interesting to include more characters that weren't X-Men. Especially when you have choices like Doug Ramsey and Warlock and Storm in your sword fighting tournament. You know, I agree. I agree because I'm looking at our roster to this point and I can't think... Well, I can think of a couple of them. But I think the, the outcome... I mean, Storm's not going to die, Wolverine's not gonna die uh, I, I think the outcomes Need to be more In question when you if you would If we were to put a character like Silver Samurai in there It's like oh well Silver Samurai Could die you know I don't Think we're gonna be killing Wolverine but we could Damn sure kill Silver Samurai I really Don't know I mean we talked About the stakes going up right in X Factor number four How You know, a death in Otherworld is akin to a permanent death in a lot of ways. You know, they'll come back in some form or fashion, but it won't be the same. And uh, the stakes are there, but seeing these A-listers that we're putting in the the battle arena here, I mean, are the stakes really that raised? I mean, we're not going to kill Wolverine. It's, eh, what are you going to do? Andrew continues, what happened to the Cerebro Sword? It seems odd not to include that in a sword story. What was even the point of it? Yes, the Cerebro Sword, which is why I thought the X-Force issues up to this point were leading into this story. And I thought that Mikhail would be a part of it. I honestly thought, since when Polaris and one of the horsemen were reading out their list of swords, right? Both of them had Muramasa on it. I thought that Muramasa was going to go to the bad guy's side, which would have opened up a slot on the good guy's side that could be filled with the Cerebro Sword. Uh, looks like that's not going to be the case, because, uh, well, we've got two Muramasas, as we've learned in uh, in Wolverine and X-Force. So I don't know what the point of it was, or is, or... I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll come back. I'm, I'm guessing it will. It'll have to come back. I just don't know if it'll have any kind of role in this uh, very sword-themed event, Andrew continues. I listened to a podcast appearance by some of the ex-authors recently, and they, and the story they tell about the crossovers inception was that since they had to do a crossover, they asked themselves, "What's cool?" Well, swords are cool. I'll be trying to keep that in mind while we get through this. Oh boy, that's a uh, that's not inspiring, is it? <laughs> But you know what? It suddenly explains why the Empire X Men story was what it was. It's like, hey, what's cool? Zombies are cool. Video game references are cool. Let's do that. No, no, that's not cool. Um, it's like I, it's like I always say, and I probably say too much. If your story, if the genesis of your genesis of your story begins with, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be funny if, dot dot dot, then go back to the drawing board because uh, you're you're parking up the wrong tree. Uh, Andrew wraps up with Well, three down Until until this, these swords are fused together To make a giant cerebral throne Make mine X-lapsed But that's not all Because Andrew Franklin wrote in again To remind me that I never did My power rankings for the Dawn of X Wave 2 number 4s I totally spaced it And I apologize Andrew says Another X-Factor issue means it's time to rank The Wave 2 number 4s this round, Hellions was undeniably the best, with a very strong conclusion to the first story arc. The Madeline story was so thoughtful and good that it's easy to forget the rest of the team's story was also really good. It's a little unfair that X-Factor was the only one being hijacked by the crossover, and even though X-Factor number four was the best of the first three X of Swords issues, I'm still going to give Cable number four the number two spot, because that book is still incredibly enjoyable and there's no Araco in sight. X-Factor rounds out the rankings at third, and as always, I did not read Wolverine, which is something I'll only be able to say one more time. Well, thank you for reminding me, and, uh, without further ado, my power rankings. And, uh, you know, this one's a toughie because I enjoyed them all. I really did enjoy them all. Uh, my number one book of the Dawn of X Wave 2 number fours would be, I mean, the Hellions, of course. All that Madeline Pryor stuff, loved it, loved it, loved it. It really stuck with me. It gave us a ton to talk about and ponder. It gave us insight into the Quiet Council, in the Resurrection Protocols. Just such amazing stuff for a book that I had labeled, you know, sight unseen as a throwaway. You know, this is the uh, this is the funny ha ha Suicide Squad alike. No, it's actually a fantastic book. Fantastic book. It's right up there with Marauders for me. I mean, it's still early yet, but uh, boy, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Number two, X Factor. Um, undoubtedly aided by being out of Mojo World and for holding a key role in X of Swords. Uh, we find out about the resurrection protocols and how they uh, Otherworld, the Otherworld effect will uh, maybe put the X and A on them, at least as we know them. I thought that was a fantastic revelation. I loved the issue. I thought it was really well done. The focus on Polaris was great because we don't always get a focus on main characters in these crossover issues. So the fact that we did get to spend most of our time or much of our time with Polaris was appreciated. It was really well done. 3 and I mean I hate putting cable at number 3, but I mean the other two the other two books were were stronger in my opinion and this one only really gets knocked down a peg for me. Due to the, to the Bill and Ted wonkiness of the bomb in the arm, which wasn't entirely clear to me on, like, the first or second reading, I still loved it. Don't get me wrong. Um, fantastic book. Ton of fun, but just uh, X-Factor and Hellions were just a little bit stronger this time out. Fourth, I mean, it's Wolverine. Um, even though it's at the bottom, I mean... It was a really good story. It was really mysterious issue with uh, Wolverine in the Red Tavern, with that mutant support group. thought it was really, really fun. Didn't have near as much to do with vampires as I feared it would, so that, that was another plus. Probably the best issue of the Wolverine volume to this point. But unfortunately, that's only enough to keep it as the fourth best of four book of this bunch, because it was a very, very strong outing for these Wave 2 number fours, so... Hellions, X Factor, Cable, and Wolverine—wonderful lineup. Uh, I can only hope that uh, we keep up the quality of these uh, books going forward. But uh, thank you again for reminding me to do that. I apologize for not doing it uh, during our X Factor number four episode. I—I I was in X of Ten's um, euphoria, I guess, and I totally forgot my duty. To uh, to include my power rankings So thank you for sending me yours And thank you for reminding me to offer mine Really, really means a lot But I think that's where we'll put a bow on it for today We're going to wrap up the mailbag If anybody would like to join in on the conversation And as you see I mean, we talked about Maraud number uh, 13 today and we also talked a little bit about marauders number one so it doesn't matter where you are in the reading if you want to share your thoughts please feel free to do so you could find me on twitter at ace comics or shoot me an email over at weird comics history at gmail.com for blog posts and show notes you can head over to chris's on infinite earths.com if you just want the x stuff go to xlapsed.chris's on infinite earths.com if you want to join in the conversation on Facebook, you can do so. Find us. We are at 90s X-Men. That's our little group. And if you'd like to hear the rest of the Chris and Reggie audio archives, you can do so at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or at any noise aggregation site device thing. Anywhere, you'll find it. It's not hard to find. So Chris uh, and chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, the whole shebang. I think that'll finally do it for this episode. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me and sharing your thoughts with me and just uh, letting me in your ear for a little while today. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya.